Hi, I'm Jess. And I'm Tiff, and we're your Curious Cousins. Where we talk about everything kooky and spooky in the state of Oklahoma. Welcome to episode 52. Welcome. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. a little under the weather, but not too bad. It was me last week. Yeah, I've got a little bit of a cold. Luckily, I don't sound like I do. I'm hoping like I caught it early enough where I'm not like going to sound like an old man, you know, <laughs> later, but... How are you? I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> a full moon is rising, so we are um, waiting for that. <laughs> Until State Fair is in town. Yeah. Yay. It's exciting. We're going to go on Saturday. Yeah, we'll get to see our cousin Miranda. We will. Our little boy will be showing. Hey, Miranda. hey We give her enough shout-outs that it's almost like she's our third cousin. I mean, well, not our third cousin. Our like, third cousin podcast cousin yeah yeah our third like co-host yeah there you go i mean we should probably have her on i know she's not pulling any of her weight on this podcast i know slacker (laughs) for real so it is a paranormal and i brought in um granted nobody can see it but you and i (laughs) i brought in a little spooky decor into the pod lab to get us in the spooky spirit oh i did want to say one thing oh um, I just wanted to say thank you to everybody who wished me happy birthday. Oh, yeah. Um, I had a great day, and I appreciate all the comments and all the text messages, and just really felt the love. So Yay. just thank you. And I just wanted to say that. Aw, you're welcome. Anyway, do we have any business? <laughs> no, I don't think so. We've got... Jury duty? Oh, yes. Jess is in jury duty. <clears throat> Next, a week from... Monday, I'll have jury duty. And then we have our um, Tulsa Art Deco Ghost Walk Tour. Right, I'm so right, excited right. about. I'm excited too about it. We'll have to find some so, other spooky things to do. I know. I'm ready. I'm ready. I did see that the Overholzer Mansion was again. Um, oh, yeah, doing their. They were hosting their. Hansen. What did, what did they call it? It was like Hansen. What did they call it? Hansen. I don't remember. Well, that was a lot of fun. Anyways, it was so fun, so I highly recommend you guys going to it. It was so fun, so it fun. It was a lot of fun. I've got a spooky case for us today. All right, well, let's hear it. Um, I am going to talk about Rogers State University in mm. Claremore. Ooh. Ever heard of it? I mean, I only went to Vertigris High School, <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, my best friend Paige, she graduated from Rogers State. Oh, I didn't know she graduated yes, from there. Yes, she did. She did. And I think her friend Lachelle did. I think I know a lot of people that have. Actually. I knew. Um, I know one girl who graduated from there, and then. But I've known like a lot of people who have gone there, but mm-hmm. maybe not graduated. Maybe transferred. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. But. Um, familiar with that yeah area, yeah so. so um i wanted to start with some of my sources i didn't I, realize it was haunted though i'll just say that <laughs> oh i know i didn't either i don't know if Paige did i might have to ask her <sighs> ghostly tales of oklahoma 66 by legends of america uh roger state university by wikipedia roger state university by oklahoma haunted houses and uh reddit i posted my first reddit Ooh. and i got responses nice so uh yeah so mine's going to be real short, but, oh, I did want to say that Rogers State last year during spooky season, they had spooky tours. Oh. 
Oh, they did? So I haven't seen anything posted about it this year yet, but of course Ooh. it's technically not October yet. Uh-huh. But um, I did see that they offered them last year. So Maybe if they, they offered them this year, let's try to get in and do yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. That could right. be a lot of fun. So uh, for those of you that don't know, Roger State University is in Claremore, Oklahoma, one of the oldest towns in our state. Mm-hmm. It was founded in 1909 as Eastern University Preparatory School. That was closed in 1917, but it was reopened again in 1919 as Oklahoma Military Academy, or OMA, uh, just to meet the growing educational and training needs of the United States Armed Forces. You know, this is post-World uh-huh. War One, pre-World War Two. Right. So there was a great need, um, or there was a great interest, and they wanted to uh, house a lot more military workers or educate them, and a lot, they, I think they did all armed services. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, sorry. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Um, In 1923, they offered a six-year program that offered a high school diploma and two years of college credit, Mm -hmm. if you attended there. In 1932, it received its ROTC accreditation. And in 1950, it became a fully accredited university. Oh, cool. Uh, This is a kind of a comment from Wikipedia. Graduates of the program became second lieutenants in the United States Army Reserve, More than 2,500 OMA graduates served in the military, and more than 100 alumni died serving their country during World War II, the Korean War, and the Vietnam War. Oh, wow. In the 1960s, there was a decline in enrollment due to the unpopularity of the Vietnam War. Mm. And so in 1971, they kind of closed their doors as the military academy and reopened as Claremore Junior College. Oh, In 1982, it became Rogers State College, named after the Rogers County, where it is founded and where it's found today. But kooky fact, did you know Rogers County is named after famous Oklahoman and Claremore son? I was going to say Claremorean, but I don't know (laughs) if that's a word. Will Rogers. I didn't know that. Yes. In 1996, Rogers State University and the University Center at Tulsa, it, it became an extension center operated by the University of Oklahoma, Oklahoma State University, Northeastern State University, and Langston University. You had these little magnet campuses that you could attend at this one site, Mm -hmm. and you could just pick which university that you wanted to attend, so you could get credit for that specific university, which I thought was kind of nice. And this had it at, so it merged into this Rogers University, And it had uh, campuses there in Claremore, but then it also opened one in Tulsa. Mm. So it's kind of a good way to open up those four universities to people in the Tulsa area who maybe were unable to travel to the actual campuses and like Stillwater and Norman and Mm -hmm. uh, the bigger universities. Yeah, where is Langston at? Langston, it's not in Guthrie. It's outside of Guthrie, but it's not quite in... I'm not 100% sure because I know the only one that when I think about it, I think of the one that's like downtown. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it's it's south of Stillwater. I mean, it's like east of Guthrie, south mm-hmm. of Stillwater. It's not Yale or Perkins. 
I don't. I'm not. I'm not super familiar. I'm gonna. I'm gonna probably shout out in the middle of my the rest of this or yours when I remember that stinking town name that I think it is. No, that's fine. Okay. Anywho, in 1998, (laughs) the two campuses separated those two uh, university centers at Tulsa. They separated. The Claremore campus became Rogers State University, and the Tulsa campus became Oklahoma State University Tulsa. Ah, okay. Or OSU Tulsa. In 2005, RSU acquired a historic nine-story building to serve as its campus in downtown Bartlesville. Hmm. So now it expanded its campus to Bartlesville. And in 2009, it celebrated the school's centennial. Oh. In 2014, RSU celebrated the opening of its new prior campus. And so there's three different places all over to- or all over kind of eastern Oklahoma that you could go prior mm-hmm. Claremore or Bartlesville. Mm-hmm. RSU offers 17 black bachelor degrees and 13 associate degrees. And as of this recording, I believe only one master's degree, but that could be wrong. Their mascot is based off of a bobcat, but they're called the Hillcats. <laughs> so there's just a little bit background. Yeah. Not very, I mean, it's a very small school yeah. here in eastern Oklahoma. Um, what but, we call a commuter college. Yes, yes. And uh, I mean, it does have dorms because I know, like, you know, like I said, my friend Paige, she went there. Well, uh, several, I think, of her friends went there. Mm-hmm. And one of her good friends Ashley, she actually played softball for them. So oh, yeah. I know I was like looking kind of at their um, sports stats, and I know that they're like an NAIA school mm-hmm. and like a Division two type yeah. school. So, and they're pretty good and they go places. So, mm-hmm. but we're not here to talk about the school. <laughs> what are we here to talk about? We're talking about ghosts. <sighs> All right. Okay, that was so, so lame. <laughs> the whole reason why I wanted to do this is we had a listener yes. right in. We did. And he gave us, he shared his experience with us. So I'm going to give a listener tale first. And um, specifically about RSU. And we, I did ask permission. I am allowed to use his name. So uh, we just want to say, hey, Billy. Hey. We. um, Thanks for listening. (laughs) Yes. Thanks for listening. We're so excited. We're so excited that we can finally bring the story to you too. He wrote saying, I am so excited to start communicating with you. I am really into history and true crime, so I feel I have a lot I can contribute to your podcast. A little history on RSU. I don't have the exact dates in front of me. It started out as Oklahoma Military Academy, then was Claremore Community College, then Rogers State College, then Rogers University. I worked security there from 1993 to 1995. Markham Hall is where I saw most ghost activity. There were two... I was told one was a cadet at the military that was killed in a hazing accident. The other was an old man that worked in the boiler room in the basement. Always the basement. (laughs) (sighs) I would receive alarm calls to the building, walk in, and hear doors slamming and running upstairs. I literally just got chills. I know. The hair on my arm is standing up. (laughs) When no one was in the building and all doors and windows were secure. One officer said he saw the cadet standing in a window, and as he got closer to him, he vanished. Ew. Also, the parking lot lights were in the basement in a breaker box. Gross. I would go in and turn off the parking lot lights, close the door to the breaker box, set the alarm, and as I left the build, and I left the building. Sorry, I can't read. Go on patrol. Come back later in the night and find the parking lot lights on. 
Oh my gosh. Go back to the building and find the alarm still set. Go to the basement and find the door to the breaker box standing open and the lights turned back on. Oh my gosh. I'd be like, I'm I'm out. I quit. I done. I quit. I'm done. The building was in a U shape. As you ap- would approach the building, it felt like someone was watching you from upstairs. <gasps> oh. <sighs> One night after setting the alarm as I was leaving the building, someone was knocking on the upstairs window. No. Oh, gross, no, gross, no. gross. When I would turn around, the knocking would stop. I would have I w- peed my pants. Oh, my gosh, me too. He said, I will pass on so much more to you on other cases. Love you guys. Billy Moreland. Oh, Billy. Billy, Thank Billy. Thank you for sharing, Billy. Oh, oh I've got Oh, my chills. gosh. Heebie-jeebies. <laughs> oh. Okay. I think it makes it scarier when we get actual comments from people who have really experienced things yeah. at these sites that we talk about. And it makes it so much cooler, like a better, like a cool connection that we yeah. have. And, but it does make it creepier, I think. Oh, man, for real. Well, because <laughs> you can kind of distance yourself, like when you just read about something in a book. But when it's, I mean, not that we know Billy personally, but knowing that he was an actual person that worked right. there and experienced I it. Know. It's like, oh my gosh. Yes. All right, so these are my tales from Reddit. Okay. <laughs> and this is from user Analysis Best 1572. Okay. In the DCTC, we consistently see something at night we ended up calling the hobo. Just a black figure in what looks like 1930s hobo attire who either walks down the hall or stares at you from the door. Oh, gross. When you look at him, he isn't there. See him out of the corner of your eye. Also heard voices, footsteps, and other things at night there. Oh, I would never be anywhere alone. I know. Oh, my gosh. All right. And this one is from user Half Asian K. I have heard some spooky stuff going on in the preparatory hall. And the place where people felt the most scared were the restrooms. <gasps> Man, someone just wants to go in and do their business. They scare don't want to be anywhere scared. else, but not the. I don't know. Part of me is like, okay, scare me in the bathroom because then when I pee on myself, I hopefully I'm gonna already be on the toilet. <laughs> um, the restrooms were rebuilt this last month, and they are fancy. I bet that stirred up all sorts of kind of activity. activity. Yeah. They did recommend us asking the psychology department for their spooky stories around the building. The basement people have stories to tell us. Well, there's basement people. Basement people. Oh, gosh. If you are a basement person, please reach out to us. Oh, man. At CuriousCousinsOK at gmail.com. Oh, gosh. So these are kind of more those certified, like when I did the research, these are the hauntings that I did find. Okay. There's an elderly native man is seen wandering the campus at night. And so that's, maybe it's the... That hobo character that is nickname. Yeah, could be. Um, but I don't know. But that is one of the, the one that is reported. Uh-huh. Um, it was reported that a Native American student was killed during a hazing ritual when RSU was originally the military academy. His spirit, I wonder if he's the cadet. I think so, yeah. Um, his spirit is said to not be at peace. He haunts well, the not ha- being hazed well, and right, dying exactly. from it. He haunts the halls of Baird Hall around midnight, specifically the TV station area, because RSU has a TV and a radio station. Uh-huh. Footsteps are often heard. This has been reported by custodians. Toilets flushing when the building is empty. That kind of stuff. Uh, the former radio station is believed to be haunted by the former program director who died in the lobby in 1989. 
of a heart attack. Oh, my gosh. So it sounds like they could have possibly three uh, spirits there on campus, but that... Three too many. (laughs) (laughs) But that is Rogers State University. Man. Well, and it's crazy because it's so close to home. It is. It is. Like, I'm like, oh, that's like 20 minutes away. I know. I mean, I, like I said, I went to school in Vertigris. Go. And good gravy. Oh, man. Wow. Well, those were good. Those stories were good. Okay. Well, are you ready for another spook? Uh, definitely. Okay. So I did the Eskridge Hotel. Okay. Uh, my sources are travelok.com traveltips.usatoday.com, okpri.com, which is the Oklahoma Paranormal Research and Investigation, Oklahoma's National Register of Historic Places, Ghosts and Legends of Oklahoma by Mike Ricksecker, and Eskridge Hotel at waymarking.com. So the Eskridge Hotel, it's actually called the Eskridge Hotel and Museum. It's located at 114th East Robert S. Kerr Boulevard in Winniewood, Oklahoma. So a little background history. The town of Winniewood was established in 1886. It was originally called Walner after John Walner, who was the founder. Okay. John Walner was a member of the Chickasaw Nation and started the town with a store and a post office. Winniewood is actually just located seven miles from Paul's Valley, which... I should know that because my grandparents lived in Stratford and mm-hmm. we went to Paul's Valley frequently mm-hmm. and I had no idea that it was that close. Right. So I guess you learn something new every day, right? Yeah. So when the railroad came through in 1887, Walner was then renamed to Winniewood after um, the Pen- uh, it's like a Pennsylvanian hometown from um, one of the railroad officials lived there or something like that i don't like that and (laughs) rude and this seems to be a common practice oh okay like with the railroad and because i don't know if you remember but we also saw this when the railroad came through the coal mining um towns where they had um they named towns but also the coal baron coal barons would name towns after themselves (laughs) stuff like that krebs being one yeah it took winniewood from being just a small town to this booming, thriving rail town. And by the beginning of the 1890s, hotels and boarding houses were just kind of like, they were built to provide a place for all these travelers to stay. So this connection helped the town establish a solid base to trade pecans, peaches, corn, wheat, oats, alfalfa, and of course, cotton. The residents of Winniewood soon built around it a cottonseed oil company. They had four cotton gins, a lumber yard, as well as a variety of other shops that um, created the bustling town. During the early 1900s, okay, <laughs> this is a crazy name, so forgive me if I say it incorrectly. Um, Pin- Pinkany? Pinkany? P-I-N-C-K... N-E-Y. No idea. Pin, Pinkney Reed Eskridge. He was a drummer, not like not like a drummer in a band, but a cotton wholesaler who traveled along the Santa Fe Railroad from Texas to Kansas working his business. 
Uh, he found many of the beds at these hotels when they would stop along the way um, on his travels to be super uncomfortable. Um, the beds were saggy and lumpy, and he just had an issue with it. Uh, he also learned that many of his fellow salesmen felt the exact same way he did. And they all kind of just complained about this awful hotel beds. During the last months of the Indian Territory period, Mr. Eskridge had done well with his cotton business. And since he noticed that Winniewood was the most thriving town on his route, he decided to build his own hotel that would provide comforts to travelers the right way. Oh. So the hotel, named the Eskridge Hotel, was built in the year of our statehood, 1907. Okay. The cost of the hotel was $25,000, and today that would be equivalent to $816,558.51. That's not too bad. The hotel is a three-story red brick building with lathe transoms, um, side note, I didn't know what a transom was, so I had to look it up. <laughs> uh, a transom is a strengthening crossbar, in particular one set above a window or a door. Oh, okay. It had 10-foot high ceilings on the upper floors. It boasted a dining room, kitchen, lobby, and 30 rooms. So, like, 30 bedrooms or sleeping rooms. Mr. Eskridge furnished every part of the hotel with classic turn-of-the-century good, serviceable furniture. He took pains to make the hotel feel like a home away from home. In each sleeping room, he put thick cotton Ostermore mattresses. And in some rooms, he even had um, extra length beds because he wanted every guest to have a comfortable stay. Oh. So, kooky fact. The Eskridge Hotel helped Winniewood become dubbed Queen City of the famous Washita Valley. Mr. Eskridge never actually operated the hotel himself, but he definitely took an interest in making it a fine hotel with a famous family dining room that served an excellent chicken dinner. Oh. It did become a local custom for families to dine at the Eskridge after church on Sunday and enjoy socializing in the lobby. So it seemed to be quite the hot spot. There was a bit of a kooky incident that happened within the hotel's first year Ooh, of operation. I and blood was spilled Ooh, in the uh -oh. hotel's barbershop. Are you ready for this? Yes. This is a crazy story, okay? <laughs> Chief of Police Charles Litchfield and his deputy, John Witt, arrived at the barbershop on April 13th, 1908 to arrest the proprietor john norman for breaking the sunday closing law because i think that they, they had that law like um shops and stuff were closed yeah on Sundays yeah yeah, yeah he was open for business uh -oh. however one of the customers in the barbershop at the time a man named bob jarrett who actually had some history with the police chief litchfield and didn't like him so he decided that he was going to insert himself in this situation and interfere. Uh-oh. Right. So according to local paper, when the police chief and deputy told Jarrett to, you know, basically back off. Yeah. 
Jarrett, quote, pulled a knife and started to carve the chief of police. The deputy got excited and instead of grappling with Jarrett, grasped Litchfield, the police chief, and held him while Jarrett cut the officer, unquote. Why? I don't know if it was like the heat of the moment, but he got confused. I don't know. But instead of like helping to. Um, or maybe like pushing the chief away. Uh, it sounded like he kind of sounded like he, no, like he held was him holding down. Him. He was holding so him. the other guy could stab him, carve his name in. Or something. Yeah. Um, Litchfield did survive the attack, but he would no longer serve as police chief. Well, I wouldn't either. Leaving. So here's another kooky incident that happened. Two years later, after the barbershop incident, Charles Litchfield, our former police chief, right, was now a restaurant owner in Winniewood and <laughs> found himself on the opposite side of the law. Uh oh. At the Eskridge Hotel on the morning of July 19th, 1910, Litchfield's 16 year old daughter, Willie, met with one of her father's friends, Will Collins. So to make this more confusing... Will and Willie. Lich, yeah, Litchfield's friends was, was named Will, and his daughter was named Willie. So I'm going to spill some tea. Oh, hang on. <laughs> Will and Willie were lovers. Oh, you don't say. Though they were both separately married. Oh? And Willie had just recently gotten pregnant with Will's child. <gasps> Willie oh. had actually developed quite the bad reputation around town. And friends of Will had warned him to stay away from the girl. <laughs> he allegedly told one of his friends, quote, the girl is going wrong and there will be a killing over it. And I never <gasps> intend to go out with her again. As you can probably guess. Or you could just, like, not see each other anymore. Right. So, um, as you can probably guess, uh, that didn't stick. And he did continue to have a relationship with her. Or an affair, whatever you want to call it. Obviously, he did because he got her pregnant. Scandalous. (laughs) But he even told Willie that... He told Willie that he was going to get rid of his wife. Oh. Oh, his wife. And I find it an interesting choice of words that he said, I'm going to get rid of my wife instead of saying, like, I'm going to leave my wife. But that's just me. (laughs) Right, right, right. I mean, does something happen to his wife? No. Okay. And that's what's interesting about these stories. They're just crazy (laughs) things that happened here. And okay, we'll get into that here in a minute. But anyway, so Cliff Cunningham, another friend of Will's, warned him of another point of the situation. He was quoted saying... Quote, if I was you, I would stop that. I wouldn't go any further with that. Litchfield is a man that will kill you if you or if he catches you. Is that Willie's husband? That's her father. Oh, her father. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's the other thing. I'm like, where's Willie's husband in all of this? Right, right. Collins apparently just laughed it off. Oh, And said, quote, well, when it comes to that, old Betsy makes me equal to any of them. Where he then like proceeded to like pat. Um, his shirt where a gun was hidden. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so now I want to read to you from Ghosts and Legends of Oklahoma, 
the book um, by Mark Ricksecker from page 84. Um, this is from the 1912 court records of Willie's testimony at her father's court hearing, oh, where she tells no. her version of what happened on July 19th, 1910, after her meeting with her lover, Will Collins, at the Eskridge Hotel. After getting into the automobile, Will took a bottle of whiskey and a six-shooter out of his pockets and placed them behind him. That at the request of Will, Willie took a drink of whiskey. <laughs> that at this time, Willie was perfectly sober. That they drove the automobile out to the lake and they got out of the car. At this time, Willie had begun to feel the effects of the whiskey she had been drinking and asked uh, for some water. Will then placed his arms around Willie and kissed her and lifted her off the ground and said he loved her. And they both drank beer together. Isn't she pregnant? Yes. <laughs> that after they were um, through drinking the beer, Will proposed intercourse with Willie, to which Willie did not give a definitive answer. That Willie and Will then scuffled around and he pushed her back against a tree. That just then her father came up. That before this, Will had laid his gun about three feet from from them on the ground that she was pushed to the ground and had raised up. And as she raised up, will pushed her to one side that just as this was done, she saw the smoke from the pistol in her father's hands. Um, Willie at this time was so excited and intoxicated. She does not remember hearing the shot of the pistol. <laughs> That's convenient. She doesn't but, remember. So basically they were drinking. Yeah. He wanted to get it on. She didn't really want to, but she was drunk. And so as they were kind of um, scuffling back and forth, I don't know another word, her father happens to come up and sees that his daughter is, quote unquote, being attacked. Mm -hmm. And he reacts. He basically shoots and kills Will. So... Charles Litchfield testified that when he came upon the scene, he didn't see his daughter at first, but he heard her pleading and crying. When he ran up to her, Collins threw Willie aside and made a move for his six shooter, which had been lying on the ground a few feet away. Collins was able to reach the gun and grab a hold of it, but Litchfield fired off two rounds from his own gun. Litchfield to told the court, Quote, I just lost all presence of mind. I found him trying to have intercourse oh my with gosh. my daughter. Oh, my God. And by the time I saw the condition of things as it was, why he was in a position to get of arms. And so it all happened about the same time. I come up on Mr. Collins and he was trying to have sexual intercourse with my daughter and had backed her up against a tree. Um, so Charles Litchfield was originally convicted of yeah. the murder, but on September 21st, 1912, the Court of Criminal Appeals upheld his right to prevent the dishonor of his daughter. The court justified the murder and quoted an ancient Jewish law that condones a murder to prevent the commission of a felony. Charles Litchfield became a free man, and soon after he, his wife, and his younger children moved to Texas. So those are just a couple of crazy things that kind of happened in and around the Eskridge Hotel. So the Eskridge Hotel closed its doors to business in 1970. Okay. In 1973, the Winniewood Historical Society converted the Eskridge Hotel into the Eskridge Hotel and Museum. And this was to help preserve its history along with some of the local history of Winniewood and of the state of Oklahoma. Okay. 
The Eskridge Hotel and Museum was listed on the National Register of Historic Places on October 3rd, 1979. The Eskridge Hotel hasn't changed much over the years. The hotel's 1907 um, elegant charm still remains, with its porches extending over the sidewalk and its benches on each side of the entrance retained. The hotel stands mostly as it did in 1907, except for some remodeling at the front entrance. Uh, Much of the furnishings inside remain, and its rooms have been furnished to portray various aspects of of turn-of-the-century living. Not all of the original items from the Eskridge remain, but the items there do hold um, or do tell a story from the past. And the tin ceiling is still there. The original guest keys hang near the desk. Oh, that's so cool. Um, And there's many artifacts from the early 1900s are on display in the museum. The exhibits are designed to depict early Oklahoman life while still retaining the allure of the Eskridge. The hotel turned museum features three floors filled with furnishings and items from late 1800s to later 1900s. Oh. So these display rooms include an old school room, black history room, vintage photo gallery, a funeral parlor, (laughs) barber shop, tool and tack room, armed forces room, an old general store, a post office, a doctor's office, um, uh, a World War II memorial, a Native American heritage room, an old hotel room, a sewing room, a dress shop, and several more. So they kind of have just different things kind of throughout the room. Hmm. All right. Oh, some of the displays include a player piano, which... Ooh. I didn't quite know what that was at first. And that the which, ones that will play by themselves? Yeah. It's a yeah. self-playing piano, which <laughs> honestly can be creepy. No, it's not. What could possibly In a haunted be hotel, I'm... Creepy about that. Ugh. Two old bank safes. Uh, school sport pictures and trophies from as far back as 1909. An old hair perming machine and curling irons and just like tons more stuff. Now let's get to the ghosties. That's what I know you want to hear. Yes. The staff will tell you that the Eskridge Hotel has been rumored to be haunted by several of the local town folk. There have been claims of dark shadows and footsteps of the past that are commonly seen and heard. The dress room, for instance, which contains an assortment of period dresses that are displayed on mannequins, has activity that has been reported by many witnesses. The mannequins tend to take on a life of their own. <laughs> and are Not the mannequins. about the room. Not the mannequins. The mannequins. They basically just move on their own. Furniture and other objects in the room have a tendency to move around as well. While, the, while ballroom music is heard playing or coming from like down the hall distant voices can be heard and footsteps as well when no one is upstairs in many of the rooms throughout the hotel like a rapping or a knocking noise are heard people feel like they're being watched or followed and sometimes they're even touched by something unseen touch me disembodied voices spread out over the airwaves on the second and third floors While there aren't any stories specifically associated with any um, 
of the hauntings of someone that worked at or owned or stayed at the hotel. There are some indications that the spirits there may be transient and they're in route from other locations. I don't like that. Uh, Maybe the spirits find the Eskridge Hotel as a to be like a safe haven because it's kept in an early 20th century state. Oh, well, yeah, maybe that they think that they're really visiting. Right. Uh, One such spirit goes by the name of Elizabeth, who lingers in the hallway but stays out of the rooms where other spirits stay. Another is a man in room uh, number 28 who enjoys having a cloth put on the table in the room and seemingly likes oranges since the smell of orange has been known to just drift from that room. Oh, One source said the haunts are colorful and varied at the historic building. You never know who or what you may encounter at the Eskridge Hotel, but it's a wonderful look into the days gone by. Um, The folks at the Oklahoma Paranormal Research and Investigations actually went to Winniewood. Well, okay. They were coming. They were on their way back from a different investigation and just happened to be passing through Winniewood and stopped at the Eskridge Hotel. And they have actually done several investigations there. And to make it even more kooky and spooky, okay, we're going to talk about one of their first, um, like, their first night there. Okay. So to make this uh, night even more kooky and spooky, the first night that the OKPRI spent at the Eskridge Hotel and Museum, a thunderstorm rolled through. Oh. And they believed the storm seemed to have, like, increased the paranormal activity with the hotel and made it seem that the activity was breaking loose, like, all around. Okay. Several team members felt like they were being followed or watched. Some said it felt like they had been touched or felt like a breeze blowing by their faces. They did a sweep with their equipment outside. And one even took photographs around the building. One investigator decided to take a picture of the street just right outside the front of the Eskridge Hotel. (sighs) He happened to catch a shadow in his picture. And he took several more in like the same um same spot and there was nothing there um you can actually go to okpri's um website to read like the full account of that experience i think they even have like a video and they have pictures that you can look at so if you're interested in that you can check that out another team member saw what she thought was a fellow team member walking out of the entrance area and into the back kitchen area. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. She called out to him, and he seemed to just ignore her. And so she followed him to the the, um, back kitchen area, only to find that nobody was there. I'm telling you right now, if you ignore me, I'm not following you. (laughs) That's what I'm thinking. I'm like, there is no way. Well, so moments later, the team member she thought she saw came downstairs from the entrance area and she asked him if he had been upstairs the whole time and he said yes so on the second floor a team member encountered elizabeth Mm -hmm. and she said that she was grieving because she had lost her son and was unable to find him this sounds like the mcbride house it's kind of crazy. Yeah, it kind of sounds very similar to well, it. Well, yeah. And Elizabeth also implied to this team member, I guess she was very sensitive mm-hmm. to these types of experiences. Um, Elizabeth 
um, made it known to this team member that there were many other spirits in the hotel who stayed and used the old hotel as a place of refuge. Um, again, on the second floor, a team member at various times could hear footsteps, audible voices, even sh- just strange sounds coming from down the hallways. Mm, this is kooky and creepy. Okay, so this is kooky. When they would walk to the end of the hallway where they heard these sounds coming from, once they got to the end of the hallway, the sounds would appear to be coming from the opposite end. Oh, no. (laughs) Um, They also did what they called a sit-down and used a strobe light to monitor for shadow activity. It was then when uh, the team was standing in the hall that they saw many shadow people starting to come out. Many shadow people? come out from the hotel rooms and just stand in the door entrances. Oh. The team also experienced a large white streak of light on this floor. One investigator saw a woman in a long Victorian-type dress. Was it white? Didn't say. I bet it was white. (laughs) Probably was. Investigators noted that between all the floors when they were um, like when they were moving from different floors for the investigation, they experienced massive um, draining on their batteries of their equipment. In the doctor's room, it was set up with antique doctor's items. One spirit wanted one of the doctor bags to be opened. Um, Another was upset that one of the wheelchairs was broken and wasn't working properly. And they've got EVPs of a man talking about his wheelchair and one of a woman saying, a doctor is here. <sighs> In the dress shop, there was a lace dress that was on a mannequin. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the left sleeve started to move on its own. <laughs> I think it was just playing with it. Like, oh, I like this dress. I'm shopping. Yeah. I like this dress. <laughs> While they got an EVP of a woman saying summer was coming. Like, I'm getting chills. Just like, it just creeps no. me out. You know, winter what I mean? is coming. <laughs> Wrong line. <laughs> we wish winter was coming. Um, in room number 28, they did experience the man wanting the cloth on the table and the smell of oranges. The team said that whenever they would, because they went back to the Eskridge Hotel several times. And when every time they went back, they always would bring an orange and leave it on the table for the man. Oh, that's sweet. Uh, the OKPRI team believes that the Eskridge Hotel does have many spirits, but it's because they see the hotel as a refuge, like I've said right. before. And they believe that the spirits feel comfortable there. And although there are many, they don't feel like any of the spirits are unhappy. Mm-hmm. And they also believe that the spirits aren't harmful or malicious. And so that, folks, is the <laughs> Eskridge Hotel <laughs> in is. Winniewood. I am looking at pictures of it. And it looks so cool. It looks so much like it really did look. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, when I'd it was be interested built. to go and see what it looks. You know, yeah, like, just to go in person. I mean, it's a museum. Can you stay the night there anymore? Um, I don't know if you can or not, because it does say hotel and museum. It so does. Yeah, that huh. I'm not. I'm Interesting. not 100 sure. Anyway, it would be fun to visit. Yeah, it, it really would. Um, but ooh, that would be fun. I know. I just. Ugh. <laughs> shadow like people shadow people no if you're gonna be a ghost i want you to be like a full apparition i need to look at you <laughs> i need to see your face i need to see your face <laughs> oh man oh yeah good story good story. well yours was really good oh, too. Thanks. I, yeah 
Thanks. So um, if you have any ghosty stories to share with us, we would absolutely love it if you would consider emailing them to us at CuriousCousinsOK at gmail.com or even DMing us on our socials. We can be found on Facebook, uh, X, formerly known as Twitter, and Instagram at CuriousCousinsOKPodcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'd love to hear from you guys. We'd we love it if you would... Uh, rate and review and follow our podcast on your famous your favorite listening platform including Apple, Spotify, Amazon iHeartRadio and Google Play and yeah Jess tell them what to keep it keep it kooky and spooky bye Bye.